Welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I'm here with Logan Mader. Logan is presently residing in Las Vegas. He's recorded records for bands like Butcher Babies, Fear Factory, Soulfly, Devil Driver, and Gojira. You probably know his work if you're into that more heavy scene, and we get into a great deal of details about what makes him tick. So after you check out this episode, head on over to his Noise Creators profile, listen to his Spotify list, check out his bio and his discography, and get to know him better. This interview came out pretty rad, so check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, Share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, Tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones, and if you're one of the best ones... We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? Today it's a SM7 with a Trident Pre and a Distressor. It's not even compressing at the moment because I'm just talking normal. But uh, <laughs> and then into a UA of Hollow into Pro Tools. Very cool. Good, 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 solid chain. So tell me about your background in music. Been in the music business for 22, 22 fucking years. It's been a long <laughs> time. Uh, I started as uh, my first band with I was playing guitar for Machine Head. That was my first band. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I played with Soulfly for about a year on their first album cycle. Mm-hmm. And then I played in a band called Medication for. One and a half albums, and then I started producing around the year 2000. I just decided I wanted to learn how to be a producer and an engineer and a mixer, so I started doing it. I just started doing it. My first gig was like, I took a job, someone got me a job, I, uh, and uh, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but I just went in there and kind of pulled it off, and I got, I had some support from like the owner of the studio that I booked and I pulled it off uh, good enough, even to the point where the the owner of that studio hired me as an engineer right then hmm. after seeing what I did after, you know, seeing what I did with the, my first gig there. So, and then I, I worked my way up and slowly started collecting my own gear and got my own workspace and would do every little demo I could get my hands on. Cause even though I was like Logan Mater from Machine Head, it doesn't really matter when you know, it's like mm. producing is a totally different world and you can't just transfer your credentials as a rock star over to being a, a producer. You got, I mean, I had to work. I had to you know, put in a lot of work and I learned mm-hmm. a lot and pay my dues. And eventually I got to the point where I was, you know, doing steady freelance stuff on, on music that I really like to work on. So it, it worked out good and I'm quite happy with the, the way it's all going. That's great. So you have your own studio. Can you tell us a little bit about it? 
Yeah, it's my uh, it's in my house right now, actually, and it's really comfortable mm-hmm. and sounds good. I'm uh, I'm living in in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Been in I normally I live in L.A., but I moved down here just for a change of pace for about a year. Uh, I'm planning to move back actually within the year, but I really like it. I got like it's just a good change of pace. There's no traffic and bands like <laughs> yeah, bands like to come work here because it's Las Vegas and it's you mm. know it's fun and cheap and I've got this setup rocking and uh, people like working here. I can even have bands that stay in my house. I've got extra bedrooms here so we can work all the time if we want and. Uh, that's it. It's like it's Darth Vader and music. I've I've moved it several times over the last decade, but it's all my mm-hmm. pretty much the same gear and my same rig, and I, I do my same thing wherever I'm wherever I go. Very cool. So you kind of answered my stu- question about what makes your studio unique, since that sounds pretty unique. Can you tell me about what instruments you play? I play guitar. I play bass, <laughs> and th- that's really all the instruments I play. I can mm. program the hell out of some drum kits and I can write some orchestral stuff and do some electronics programming and all kinds of keyboards. But yeah, guitar's my main thing, you know? That's that's mm. my main instrument. So we have a saying on the podcast that like on one side you have like the Steve Albini who barely comments on your takes, just gets good tones, and then you have like a John Feldman who fully rewrites your songs when you come into the studio. If that's a scale, where do you see yourself on that scale most of the time on projects? I'm actually, uh, I got a bit of both because I, mm. you know, well, I mean, I know Feldman cares about sounds and tones and stuff too. Yes. Even though. Yeah, I'm not saying that as much as though Albini will never rewrite your songs for you, whereas Feldman kind of gets in there and totally reworks it. Yeah, I've done a lot of that. I, I did co-writing on Devil You Know, the album I produced, and Butcher Babies, and mm-hmm. the, this record called uh, this band called Nvidia that's just now starting to shop their project. It's um, I got a guy from In This Moment and one guy from Five Finger Death mm-hmm. Punch. I produced that, and I did a lot of co-writing on that. I I do it if if the artist wants help, I'm I'm there to do it, and I can I can usually come through. Or I'll bring in, I have a good network of really talented writers that will do on spec normally. If I pitch a band in a song and tell them what it needs, I can usually get a number of really talented writers to contribute as, as co-writers on a project that I work on. I've had like Johnny Andrews work on stuff, Lucas Banker, UC Carvinen, you know, uh, Tommy Leonard. Like these guys are all really, really good, efficient top line writers and, and music writers as well. So between me and my woman, actually, is a, a good writer, too. She's been um, mm. writing on some of the projects that I do as well. She's really good. It's, it's Lauren Hart. She's the singer for the band that I play in as well. I have a band called Once Human. That's Nice. Uh, yeah. We're working on our second record right now. So Yeah, I do a lot of, I, I do a lot of co-writing with my, mm. with my projects. If, if it's needed and if they want it, I'll do it. Or at least I'll suggest you know, at the end of the day, I I never want to force an issue. You know, because mm-hmm. the client, the artist is is it's their stuff, it's their money, it's their project. It's not worth it to to make a stand. Really, if I mean, it, normally it, it all ends up where we we all mutually want it to go. So it's never really an mm-hmm. issue. Gotcha. What's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? I guess it doesn't matter what mistakes they make before they come in because I'm here to fix them. <laughs> Usually there's... That's a, good, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. So they come with a big bag full of mistakes, I think. All of them do, normally. And that's why they come to a producer, to help them mm. sort that out. What's a smart thing you see bands do during the recording process? 
I think a smart thing that an artist can do during a recording process is learn something new, maybe by hearing things outside of the way they would normally hear it in their own musical mind. So mm. becoming open, more open-minded to outside perspectives on certain elements of a song, for example, it can help them. They can grow as musicians and expand their musical mind if they want to in a recording mm -hmm. process, if they allow themselves and if they want to, yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a great point. What happens when you and a band disagree about something? That's it. Cancel the session. No. <laughs> um, I'll be in my trailer. No. Uh, if we disagree, at the end of mm -hmm. the day, like, especially, it depends. I'll tell you why. Like, if it's a band with a mm -hmm. label, which is a lot of them, then there's, there's three sides. There's my side, there's the band side, and then there's the A&R guy side or the you know, the mm -hmm. product manager, whoever, the label, the manager, and they have a, a valid say as well. It depends on the situation, you know. If it's something that doesn't, isn't going to make or break, I lean towards letting the artist have their way. It's not that important to me, unless it's like blatantly just so much better one way than it is the other way. And then I would try to ca uh, campaign and convince the, the artist about why I think it, and then let them make the decision. Other times there's politics involved and there's a, the agenda, the overarching agenda of the business. So it doesn't always have to fall on my shoulders about dis uh, disagreements, you know. It could be the label. This is what the label wants. We got to give, we got to like put me next to the artist because I am an artist as well and I know what it's like to, to be that. So... I tend to side more with the artist, and then if we have to deliver something that the label wants, then we, we figure out a way to do it, that everyone likes it, you know? That's that's part of the job. It's not the funnest, not the most fun part, but it's, you know, it's a factor. Yes, definitely not the funnest part. So we're going to get into some questions about how you feel about some modern production tools. Um, do amp simulators have a role in your productions? I'm all about this Kemper. Do you know that mm. KPA Kemper? Do you know this unit? Yes, yes. It's, it, it, this, this is becoming the um, trend on this podcast. Is everybody's very, very excited about? It. I've used it before and have enjoyed yeah. it. Yes, I've been on it for t like two years and I haven't even plugged mm. in an amp. The only reason I plugged in an amp is to profile it and and put it in mm. there. Yeah, I made some good profiles and then I've traded and shared and just from downloading I've got about a thousand tones in there and they're really good it's like it's amazing I mean I haven't needed to mic an amp for two years because of that that's pretty rad yeah it's really revolutionary like that's one of those breakthrough things for me for in, in any producer that's doing anything guitar oriented or bass it's a really big game changer and then uh, I use it live as well, and it's a lunchbox. It's my whole back line mm. with no cabinet, and it goes in a backpack, and it's like carry-on luggage on the plane. That's my entire back line. No cabinet, no head, nothing. <laughs> That's pretty rad. Yeah. How about sampled drums? I prefer to have organic drums, and I've, I've pride myself on you know, knowing how to record real drums and mix them. And you can hear this on records like Gojira, The Way of All Flesh, a very organic mm drum mix uh the last butcher babies album i didn't use any samples at all on the kit not even the kick mm -hmm. it's 100 percent organic my album once human the first once human album 100 percent organic no samples on the kit but if i it depends who records it or w what the artist wants to because if the tones are not perfect or you know really good to begin with which Really good raw drum tones need a shitload of work to sound like produced and sound good. But I, I really 
enjoy the expressive sounds of an organic snare and cymbal work and, and all the dynamics and humanization of a good drummer playing good drums that are tuned correctly by a guy that knows how to tune them and mic'd mm-hmm. up right in the good gain structure and edited right. And yeah, so I could, I go both ways. I've mixed albums that have no live drums on them and I've mixed albums that have no samples and then I've gone mm-hmm. in between halfway, like some kick here, a little bit of snare support. Usually never toms, and if I can help it, never the cymbals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Superior Drummer as a writing tool. When I start, when all my pre-production, I just use Superior Drummer. That's the drummer until we the songs are fully realized. And it's easy to manipulate, obviously, MIDI, tempo, and patterns. You can easily change the song completely during the pre-production process and then get to the point where, okay, you like it, and then I record normally, like, master guitars, bass, and finished vocals, and really hear the song as it's going to be with final takes, you know, for, as, you know, in, in theory, final takes, and then add the drums last, mm-hmm. since it's to a click, because that saves time and money, and I cannot record live drums at my studio, it's to my house, and uh, I, I like to go to, uh, last couple records I did for live drums, it was in Vegas, it was at the new hideout, which is Kevin Cherko's new place, it's amazing, it's, he just bought the, nice. he just bought the audio mix house, it's four studio complex in Henderson, I got great tones there, it's a beautiful, beautiful world, it's like seven million dollar facility. Facility. So there's a there's a wow. 90 something channel duality SSL. It's the biggest SSL hmm. in America. Wow. In, in the A room there, and then there's a, a 9000K SSL, a big one in the B room, and then two other editing and mixing rooms as well there. So that place is awesome. I like East West when I'm in LA, as far as, far mm. as higher end drum rooms to go to or the Village. But I've also tracked a lot of really good sounding records at Stag Street, which is it's not. It's a. It's a lower price room. It has a, a really nice old API that's maintained and, and it mm. works really well. Good mic selection. It doesn't have like a like it doesn't have a vibe and a look like a really expensive studio, but it's not. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, but it sounds amazing. So and actually, really, I know for depending on the budgets and stuff, I know I get really good tones there. And, uh, it's it's a place that I'll I'll do like a lot of good drum track in there. It's Van nice. Nice. How about pitch correction? Only every syllable. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, some singers, it's like, you don't have to. And some some singers, you have to do a little bit. I just do, I leave as much of it alone as possible. If it's a, if it's not offensive, I'd rather not touch it. But when I do need to, I will. And I like to use Antares Evo. Um, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people like Melodyne, but... Antares is just the one that I've used and I know it and uh, I use it in a way that's really transparent in graphic mode just drawing out the lines that the, the, the moments that need it and leaving everything else alone or grabbing the whole you know you can grab and manipulate the swoops and stuff in a way that you don't hear the pitch correction so never in auto mode obviously so it's a little bit tedious but you know you got to you got to do it you got to do it definitely worth the effort do you have a favorite soft synth I use a lot of native instrument stuff. I also like Sonosphere, uh, Spectrosonics, Omnisphere mm-hmm. is a good one. Yeah, anything native instruments, I use a lot of their stuff. I've, I've done some film scoring and video game composing and a bunch of trailers for movies and for games. I can do the whole thing, like, I can do almost the whole thing with, with the contact with native instruments and a guitar and some pedals you know do you master your own records yeah i do and i do it simultaneously in pro tools on the master bus Mm. 
Yeah, that's how I've been doing it. It's like, uh, yeah, I just, that's how I do it. With a, a series of compression, multiband compressors, EQ, limiter, I just make it work. Sometimes I'll do an additional mastering process, which takes my mastered mixes and, and can give them a little more air somehow. There's this guy, Mayor Applebaum, he does a lot of mastering. Mm -hmm. he's, he's like a normal mastering guy, but he's developed a technique that can make improvements on a, a mixed master that's already, you know, at the ceiling, already really hot. So there's like, mm -hmm. a, normally like you can't push anything, you could take things away or you could turn it down and push things, but you still have a brick wall there. But he's got some technique that is, uh, is pretty cool. I've, I've used it a few times on records that I'm, you know, that have a budget for it and feel like maybe it could use a little something extra, a little sparkle or whatever, low end tightening up or something and he's done that but for the most part yeah i do my mixes with my own mastering i've done almost every record that i've done i've uh as a mixer i've done the mastering as well cool how long do you usually like to does it take you usually to record a song and then how long does it usually take you to mix a song normally five song an ep it would take two weeks start to finish with a little bit of mix work on the back end full album 10 12 songs you know four to six weeks and cool. that's, that's with the pre-production and co-writing and whatever needs to happen to make it work. If if a song is just done and doesn't need any upgrading or anything creatively, it's like, I can get it done fast. You can do a song a day if it's just done, you know, as long as everybody can perform. Nice. What's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? I learned a lot of little good things from other producers that I've worked with, even like the guy who produced the first two Machine Head records, Colin Richardson. I learned, and and I was... I was really interested about the, the recording process back then, but I was just a guitar player in the band. But I loved being mm -hmm. in the studio. I knew like from that first record, and this is back in 93, so we were on two-inch tape and a big-budget full studio, like Studio A, the whole process, you know. It's ridiculous like, when you think about the state of the industry now. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, I would learn. I remember little bits of information coming from a lot of different producers, and it all stuck with me, and I carried it along the way. And but for the most part, trial and error is how I've developed what what it is that I do. And trial and trial, and just just doing it. So that's how I do it. Yeah, I th I, th I think while we can learn nice little tidbits from people, our mind has to be open to learning those tidbits after some trial and error on our own. Yeah. Can you tell me one of the best moments you've had in the studio? One of the coolest things that happened was I was working, this is like around 2005, and mm. I was working in North Hollywood. I had my setup there, and next door to my studio was a bigger room at Undercity. Mm -hmm. And one day I was just going to work like I always do, but this day I see Roy Mayorga and Dave McLean. Mm. So wait, Ro so Roy Mayorga is a drummer from Stone Sour, and I used to play in Soulfly and Medication with him. He's a friend of mm. mine. And then Dave McLean is the machine head drummer that I used to play with. And then Dino Casares is there mm. from Fear Factory. And Paul Gray from Slipknot, he was there. And I was like, what's, what's up? What are you guys doing here? Because they were working in the main room. And they said, oh, we're doing this Roadrunner United thing and told me about it and the whole project. And then next thing you know, I was helping them with some patching and just technical stuff in the room there because i knew the room and then that mm -hmm. led to me being one of the guest guitar players on on one of the songs that that they were doing it was this mm. all-star album i don't know if you're familiar with it roadrunner united yeah, yeah yeah totally so i was on the list my name was actually on the list of eligible i guess the monty connor or someone at the label mm -hmm. picked eligible you know current and alumni roadrunner artists who were could be used by the 
the four producers that were going to each do four songs, like that they could mm. pick. And my name was on there, but I, I hadn't been picked prior to that. But since I was at the right in the right place at the right time, I ended up playing guitar on one of the songs, and that song turned out to be a single for the album. Mm. And I did a rough since I had the files in my room. I did a quick mix of it, and I said, "Here's my guitar tracks," and I did a little quick mix on it. And everyone loved my mix and ended up getting used for the albums. And that was my first major label mixer credit. And it happened just sort of like serendipitous kind of, you know, right place coincidence at the right time. And it let, that actually led to a lot of producing work for me. So it was a pivotal moment. It led directly into me working with Soulfly as a producer through Monty Connor mm. at Roadrunner when previously I was just their guitar player and I hadn't talked to Max for many years. Mm. And then that led to working with Dino Casares on five different records over the years with with Fear Factory, Divine Heresy, and Asesino. And I've done five records for him, and that's been a great relationship. And then it led to doing the Soulfly record, led to Gojira, which is a big record for me, and um, because their singer, Joe, was playing bass in, you know, in Soulfly. Or actually, Cavalier Conspiracy, that was, the, that was mm. another one. That, that, that was all, it all stems from that one Roadrunner United connection that happened there. So that's pretty cool. That's a, yeah. that's a that's a good insight into how your career can go as a producer. Yeah. What's a perfect record someone else has made, and what about it makes it perfect? Well, I mean, we could say uh, "Back in Black" by ACDC, Mutt Lang. Mm. This is like 1980, and it's just, of course, it's all organic, and I don't know. There's something about that record that's just I love the kick, and it's all organic, and I love, especially even for how old it is, it's still like it's really punchy and got all the right information going on there and the snare is super beefy but still bright and there's this magic there's just a magic happening that you know came from the band and the writing at the time and i think that's just a just an amazing timeless album for me too like and now this is personal and nostalgic is ride the lightning by metallica Mm -hmm. this is a record that when it came out and i was like 14 or 15 nothing else had ever sounded like that to me both like in tones and overall vibe and songs and it's one of the records that made me want to play guitar and i still get like i still get that feeling when i hear it you know now well so i was gonna ask you your the next question is uh five of your favorite records that shaped your musical growth so obviously that one's a good answer to, to start off with yeah actually back in black is and then Ride the mm. Lightning. The Bay Area thrash metal scene as a genre ha had a big influence on me, but I don't know about which. I mean, I guess Metallica led the way there, so let's just leave it at Ride the Lightning for that. And then mm. Rain and Blood by Slayer, Downward Spiral from Nine Inch Nails. That's, that record actually, you know, it's weird. That's actually kind of a timeless record. Yeah, and I agree. It's That's so, one of my, that, that would be on my list as well. Yeah, and it's so hard for electronic music to be timeless. It always, after four mm -hmm. or five years, it always sounds so dated. Even if it was the coolest thing ever, it's like, because it's sound driven. Like, I, I remember loving the Prodigy, the big Prodigy. Battle of the Land. Yeah. And it, at the time, I, I was like, just like, ah, oh, the sounds and the production and the songs and the energy. And then if I listen to it today, it's like, it sounds dated. It's funny to me, because what dates Fat of the Land is the cheesy vocals, not as much the sounds to me. Yeah, I hear, you know what? I hear this, mm -hmm. well, listen to Knife Party, for example, like just mm -hmm. in the mixing, like the size of the mixes that 
a lot of the EDM and dubstep and like whatever electronica guys are doing today is massive from top to bottom mm. and everything is placed so well and, and balanced right and then fat of the land it sounds it does it sounds smaller it sounds just almost like a, lo mm. a little bit of a lo-fi version even though I think Knife Party is really influenced by that era of Prodigy you can hear it agreed yeah but sonically I think electronic music really evolves at a fast rate and it's yeah. not easy for that's a song to remain timeless. I guess if it's like really vocal driven and a melody driven kind of a single type song, it could survive the test of time easier than just more of a, you know, a groove and a sound based kind of electronic thing. So anyway, that's my take on mm -hmm. that. That was four albums. I didn't say five. Yes. Give me one more. I want to say like, and I worked on this record, so it's a bit weird, but I want to say Gojira, The Way of All Flesh. If that's what you feel. That's what you feel. Yeah. If that, that was helpful in your growth, that, yeah. that's totally cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was. There you have it. Uh, what about it? What, 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 what about it was uh, big in your musical growth? You know, it was getting the organic drum kit to be fucking massive and really punchy. And aggressive and sound modern, but still be really uh, like 99% organic. That was like, mm. uh, so this is on 2010, I think, or 2008. I did that or nine. I don't know. So at that point, it was a big, a big accomplishment for me to display my skills on that, on that level. Working with those guys was really a pleasure to have great energy and they're really calm and like just really talented. The connection between the two brothers is really cool. It's a tight musical connection. It's like they're one. It's like they're one dude, one playing drums and one playing guitar and singing. And then also the impact that the album made at, uh, on the world was really good for me and sort of a, a milestone in my mixer career that still carries weight. So that's why it was, all those reasons are why that record was important to me. Cool. Three favorite producers? Uh, I got to say Mutt Lang. Mm -hmm. God, I have so much respect for so many producers and in different ways, you know, mm. like Steve Albini, mm -hmm. for example, or mm -hmm. I guess Trent Reznor. Mm. For, for metal guys like Colin Richardson, Andy Sneap, they're both mm -hmm. amazing at what they yeah. do. And I've worked with them and they've been a, a big influence on me, both of them. Uh, Jens Borgren, Borgen or Bogren, I don't know how you say his last name. He does yeah, I never do either. He's done some really good work that I like a lot. I would I would actually like consider having him mix a record for me. Like as of if I was the artist, I would say I would like him to mix a record for me if I had if I had the means to do so. Cool. <laughs> What's your favorite record of recent times, and what inspires you about it? Well, I've been listening to the most recent Lamb of God record at the gym a lot. Mm. It's just relentless and brutal. It's really raw. That that you know they always have a really raw like organic drum sound in their mix which i like they're you know it's it's real you know and mm -hmm. the, the vocal performances are just on fire the the guitar riffs are insane and it's a band that's evolved to its peak i think and it's i mean it's what i've been listening to at the gym lately so that's i'll say that one <laughs> yeah. nice so the last question is uh what have you been working on lately well i'm i just did a a test mix for a, a big artist that I, I can't, I wish I could say, maybe by the time this airs, I could tell you, but uh, there's five A-list mixers, mixers like competing for this one. And I'm in there, I'm, it's down to two. And so mm. I'm playing that game, which is like all part of the game. So I don't know. If, yes. I don't know how that one's going to turn out. That'll be a nice one for this year. I'm working on a possible video game score. And then I just finished producing and co-writing 
an album for a band called Nvidia, which is this new band I think I mentioned in this podcast already. And yes. It's got Travis Johnson from In This Moment and Matt Snell, the original guitar player from Five Finger Death Punch. And this is an exciting mm. record. I did a lot of co-writing on it. And I brought a lot of other writers in to make it as good as it can be, too. And it turned out really great. And I'm helping the band out with some management side of things and shopping the record. So that's one to look out for. They just It's a new band, cool. so it's unproven. I, I like doing, you know, I've done production deals where I find a singer and I build a project around them and I write songs with them and then shop it, put a band together, put the look together and shop it and get it signed. And I've done that. I've got I've done that four times with uh, two, mm. three major label signings and one indie label signings with production deal things out of out of you know passion projects that turn into something real and I mean it's always a lot of work but I, I love doing it you know it's like it's a passion project thing you know to take something that was previously undiscovered and actually like close a major label record record deal from it it, it feels good you know that's awesome I just mixed a um it's just finished now i gotta do the stems uh it's an avant-garde melodic death metal band from istanbul turkey called kefra it's really cool it's a little bit gojira and a little bit like septic flash um so there's a lot of orchestral and cool guitar death metal type stuff and also melodic but then they've also used a lot of tastefully used a lot of ethnic middle eastern like turkish instrumentation and vocalizing and stuff so it's sort of unique that one i'm, I'm writing for a new once human album that's my band right now so i'm doing that mm. it just did an ep a lot of <clears throat> it's sort of in progress so i did an ep for another independently funded unsigned band called against himself out of denver so mm. i do a lot of records like that where you know it's just if a band is serious about what they're doing and they you know they want to take it to the next level and they've got the money to to do it and i'm flexible with my rates too depending on mm. where they're coming from but I'll, i do you know a lot of independently funded records and uh, they usually turn out really good and i do a lot of co-writing on them and that's that what else to, i mean in recent years i did the devil you know record and butcher babies i don't even remember oh asking alexandria that's it cool If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 